They said getting started was the hardest part, but no one told you how hard it is to scale a custom service business. It's time for your team to step up, but your clients want you. Discover how to scale to seven figures and beyond by freeing up time and getting your team to run whole parts of the company so you can focus on scaling profits. This is the Hands-Off CEO with Mandy Ellefson. Hello, welcome to the Hands-Off CEO podcast. I am your host, Mandy Ellefson. Before I go and introduce our guest today, I want to share with you the topic. Our guest, Tom Shapiro, he's a client of ours. He's grown nicely into this, this nice hands-off growth, and I wanted to have him on for a couple reasons. So one, he has this amazing innovative sales process for selling into five-figure projects, and he's used that to create a tremendous amount of growth, and it's really awesome. I'll let him actually share it. But the other reason is that Tom has worked out how to scale a business without working more hours, and he stepped into this role as a hands-off CEO. The other reason I'm having Tom on is so we can explore this topic of what it takes to become a hands-off CEO and, you know, what does that even look like and what is my life going to look like when I arrive and, you know, what is the next level beyond that? So we're going to be talking about that with Tom because Tom has really stepped into this role as hands-off CEO in his company. Tom is the CEO of Stratabeat Incorporated and it's a B2B marketing, branding, and web design agency. And he's also the author of the books, Rethink Your Marketing and Rethink Lead Generation, which are both available on Amazon. Tom, thanks so much for coming on and welcome to the show. Oh, Mandy, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Tom, share with me what kind of clients does Stratabeat work with and what can a client expect as an outcome of, say, working with your company for 12 to 18 months? Sure. So we work exclusively with B2B companies, so business to business, and we focus on the mid, on the mid market. So mid-sized companies, anywhere from say 10 million a year in annual revenue to 500 million a year in annual revenue. That's really our sweet spot. And as you mentioned, we provide them with everything from brand strategy to web design, to branding, to digital marketing services. What we're very good at is generating a lot of leads growth. So with B2B, you know, it's always about generating more leads. And we can typically, at, at minimum, double our clients' leads within 18 months. Wow, that's really incredible. So share with me, what are your success stories? Like how much extra business did that bring in for them? So it varies by client, right? So one of our clients is a software company, and we actually worked on several of their brands and for example, for their flagship brand, when they started, there were 50 employees and two years later, there were 250 employees. And so that was quite a range of digital marketing services that we provided for them. We provided a lot of content development, a lot of search engine optimization, a lot of advertising and retargeting and guiding them through landing page testing and things like that. That was a really fantastic experience in taking them from 50 employees to 250 so quickly. Well, wow, that's really incredible. So, you know, one of the things that we've kind of dug through and found is one of like the key differentiating factors in your company is that you have this really great sales background and you also have this ability to piece together all these different things. So while the way you said that may have sounded almost like a full service agency, I don't see you as a full service agency. What I do is I see you as an agency that provides specific type of results. So you double the amount of leads for a business in 18 months. 
So when you're looking at it from that outcome perspective, there's a lot of pieces that come into play. And I know that you have really done a lot of that thinking work that goes behind that to really understand, you know, what does it take for us to be able to be so sure that we're going to be offering double the amount of leads for our clients? And a big piece of that I know is that you have this really strong sales background. Yep. You know, typically when people hear sales, it's a negative connotation and a lot of people shy away from, from anything that, I don't know, that when you think of sales, you know, you think of just the, the sleazy salesperson. But the way that I've always approached sales is really very, very different than the traditional way. And, you know, oftentimes you might think that sales is about explaining what you do and explaining your services and explaining your company. And we don't do that at all. Literally, 100% of the focus is on the prospect, is on the customer, right? And so what we do before talking with anyone is say, if I was the CMO, the chief marketing officer of that company that I'm going to talk with, what would I do, right? We do a lot of research even before we start talking with them. And then we do a a very large discovery to understand what's really on their mind, what's troubling them, what, what their problems are that they're trying to overcome, what are the goals they're trying to achieve. And, and we do a deep dive into what they need to do to be successful, whether we can help them or not. We want to fully understand what are the keys to their success. And that's all we talk to them about. Literally, we walk in the door and we just talk about what they need to do to be successful. And we'll certainly cover what we can help them with, but we'll also very openly and freely point out to them other areas where they need improvement or where it's absolutely critical for them to change things. And I'll just give you an example. So we had a a technology company contact us last summer and, you know, they deal with really large brands. You know, you're talking fortune 500 level brands are their customers. This technology company was very, very small and they came to us and said, hey, could you redesign our website? We need, you know, we need a new website. So we, we heard good things about your services. Um, could you redesign our site? And then his next question was, so how should we go about this? Should I, should I just tell you the pages that I'm looking for in my site? And I, Mandy, I literally said no. I said, you don't have to tell me any of the pages that you want in your site. In fact, we're not even going to talk about that today. And he said, well, what do you mean? I, I'm calling you for site, site redesign. And I said, yeah, but that's, that's not what you need to focus on right now. I said, what, what you need to focus on is where do you need to be in 12 months? Where does your business need to be in 12 months? Specifically, what does your business need to be getting from the website in 12 months? And then we can talk about your website. But until understanding what you're trying to achieve, how you're driving your business towards a future goal, then it's too difficult and we would just be guessing and it would be a random conversation rather than something that's very strategically driven towards your specific growth. And we wound up talking and talking and they wound up hiring us not only for the website, but for a complete brand strategy and rebrand. We even renamed the company that came out of this process. Uh, And we completely overhauled their sales presentation We're going through sales training with them and we're guiding them through many different facets of how to market the brand. And so instead of just having a conversation about, you know, what kind of a website do they want? Instead, we talked about what they need for growth and then they hired us for that. And it, it completely transformed the entire relationship. It transforms the results they're going to get. 
it transforms everything. Well, that's a great example. So what do you expect is going to come out of that? I know that these type of things can take a while to actually see the full benefit of them. So like, you know, when it's all fully implemented, what do you see that, how, how do you see that this impacting the growth of this company? Oh, I think it's going to completely change them. Right now they have a handful of customers and I, I would expect them to be winning new customers every few weeks moving forward. So every few weeks. So then how much new gross sales is that going to be per year, do you think? Oh, it's going to be millions and millions of dollars of incremental growth for them. And this millions of millions of dollars that you're making possible for them, if you would have actually done what they asked you to do, just to like, just tweak a few pages on their website, they would not have. Definitely not, without a doubt. So I want to point out a few things here. One of them, you showed up with leadership. You showed up with leadership. They said, I want this. And you said, no, that's not what you need. So you pointed out what the real problem was and you helped them actually say, oh, I see. This is not my problem. This is my problem. So that it builds that trust. The third thing that I see that you're doing is that you are positioning your services, not as we're a service provider, we're this full service agency, but we're your growth partner. We're your growth partner and we're going to help you double the leads in your business. Absolutely. So I love that because you're helping them add millions of dollars to their company and you're really focusing on that end goal as opposed to, well, we're going to make your website look nice and we're going to kind of make, the, make your brand feel good and it's going to be aligned and all that. Taking many steps further beyond that industry jargon and actually giving them what they really want, which is more growth. Yeah, exactly. You know, oftentimes companies are looking at marketing in a very... A myopic view where they're looking at it very tactically where, yeah, it's a website or, oh, it's a trade show booth or, oh, it's an email campaign. And that doesn't lead to growth. You can't tinker around the edges and expect to grow. That doesn't work. You need bold, decisive action. You need to have a very powerful brand strategy, which a lot of companies skip that entire step and they just try and jump right to the tactics. And instead, you, you want to have a very powerful guiding, you know, North Star and a clear understanding of your customer promise, your positioning, your differentiation, your brand personality, your core values. You need to have a messaging platform. You need to have all of this in place as your foundation. Just like, you know, you wouldn't build a skyscraper without a foundation. It would fall over immediately. And that's what a lot of companies do when they're trying to grow without that type of brand strategy in place. They're, they're trying to grow without a foundation. And it's not sustainable and it's not powerful. It's not effective. And it certainly doesn't lead to exponential growth. And so once you have that core foundation in place, the possibilities multiply. And if then you actually activate that brand strategy in many, many different ways, and in every way that you touch the customer, it's incredibly powerful. It, it changes everything. If the difference between being one of many vendors to a prospective prospect and being something very special, very differentiated that really stands out and you have much deeper conversations. And so that is what we're enabling them to do is to walk in the door and absolutely wow people and have their jaws drop rather than walking in the door and giving a presentation that any of their competition would have done anyway. Yeah, absolutely. So, I'm hearing a few things here that 
you said activating their brand. And I wanted to point this out because this is one of the key differentiators that you have because there's a lot of companies out there that, that focus on branding, but unless you can, like you use the word activate the brand, but unless you actually have way, a, a way to activate or I might say monetize it, then all that work you do might not actually be connected to the real result and outcome that they want. That's absolutely right. And it was a strategic decision on our part to include brand strategy as one of our core services because a lot of agencies, if you look at a lot of agencies, you know, they might be a web design agency, but that's all they do, right? Or they're a branding agency, but that's all they do. Or they're an SEO agency, but that's all they do. And I saw a, a major problem with that type of approach. If you want to maximize results, if you want to grow fast, then you really need brand strategy highly integrated with your branding, with your design, and with all the marketing that you do. And so by being able to touch each of those areas and to guide each of those areas and drive each of those areas, it has led to very different types of engagements for us with our clients than, say, an agency that, that is more narrowly focused and only does, say, SEO only. Yes. So this is one of the challenges I know that you had in your growth path at one point. In fact, I think when we, were, when we first met, this was one of the challenges that you had because you do such excellent work for your clients that it was at a place where it was harder for you to actually translate that to your team for them to get the same results as if, as if you would do it. Absolutely. And I'll be very honest with everyone that the biggest challenge for our agency initially was me because uh, I was too involved. I was involved in everything. And it's because I could jump in and do each of the services that we offered when I would build a relationship with a client, it was very difficult to extract myself and hand off the account to someone else. And so I, I blame myself for all of that, for being too in the weeds as a CEO, as a founder. And even though you know, it was a lot of fun, we drove a lot of growth for a lot of companies, it definitely held our own growth back. And what we needed to do, and Mandy, you've been essential in this process for us, was really for me to transition from a CEO who's also very deep into the accounts into a hands-off CEO where I'm relying on a team now and they're the ones guiding our clients. And yes, I have a strategic role and I jump in and I help provide strategic guidance, but for over 90% of our clients, I really don't get involved in the day-to-day -day at all. And that is really what unleashed our own growth. And we more than doubled over this past year. And it's really fulfilling for me because I see our team members growing as well. And it's more fulfilling for them. And it's better for me. It's better for them. It's better for our clients. It's better for everyone. And so it's just been a great experience going through that process. Mm. So I would love to hear, and I, I know everyone listening would love to hear this too. So earlier on before we were working together, one of the challenges is it was that for in order for you to ensure that level of quality, to ensure this, this really high outcome that you can actually get for clients. Now, how do you keep that quality high if you're not the one doing it? Or if you're not the one really having your hands in it, because you weren't doing it all yourself before, obviously you had a team. How do you manage it without having to jump in so much and still get those great results? So we're a highly collaborative group and we over communicate with each other. So it's not that someone goes into a black box and they disappear for three months 
and then you know they, they, they start deploying things to the market for a client. We have a lot of strategic discussions and we're very, very open and uh, we brainstorm a lot together about different ideas. Even just this morning, we were brainstorming on multiple accounts. Two days ago, we had an hour-long brainstorm for one of our clients where I'm really not involved in the account, but the entire team jumped into the brainstorm to help the person who's leading that account uh, come up with many new ideas for growth. And so we're very, very collaborative and team-oriented in that way and very client-focused and that way, client-obsessed even. And so we're very, very happy to help each other be more successful with our clients, even if we're not in the account ourselves. So that's one of the things. Another thing is training. So we're very committed now to training. We have regularly scheduled training. So for example, every Thursday afternoon, we have SEO training. So I have, I have a very deep background in SEO Part of my background in SEO includes being on SEO teams for AT&T and every division at Hewlett Packard and Ameriprise, United Healthcare, 10 different brands at Procter & Gamble, some of the most complex websites in the world, some of the, the biggest brands in the world. So that's my background. And so I'm able every Thursday afternoon to walk the team through various SEO training. So for example, one of the things that we love to do is we'll pick a website and we'll do a live SEO critique of the website together. And so certainly some of the times we're just going through methodology, right? We're training our team in the methodology, but these live critiques are essential because anyone can read a methodology, right? And then what happens? You kind of forget most of it over time. But once you start applying it immediately, you don't wait for a client, right? You start creating these opportunities to apply your new knowledge immediately that week. So it's great because it's not just one person going through the critique, it's each of us contributing. And so everyone has to stand on their own and voice their own opinion and proactively contribute, which is great for them to activate their learning. But then it also, you know, they're not in a silo. I'm still there. There are others on our team who have deep SEO experience as well, who are able to, to contribute, to critique, to add new insights as well. And so it's a combination of the teamwork, the brainstorming, the training, and also simply having a methodology. You know, a lot of agencies, they do the work because they know how to do it, but they don't document it. And they don't have a precise process for everyone to follow. And so, you know, that's what we've been deeply focused on in recent months is documenting the heck out of everything we're doing. Got it. Okay. So I want to kind of unpack some of the things you said. You shared a whole lot of uh, things and I want to kind of put this into perspective. So one of the first things that I heard you say was that you were all brainstorming and collaborating on projects, but these were not all brainstorming, collaborating on projects that you owned. Each individual account manager or person who's responsible for this, they have ownership over them, but then they're getting feedback from the rest of the team to actually be successful with the projects. Does that exactly. sound? Okay, great. But, but that's really key is that having the ownership so that it's not you being stuck having to figure out how this is done and then getting your team to support you. It's them owning it and then soliciting support from the rest of the team in order to accomplish the task. Absolutely. And it's even them initiating the brainstorming session. So exactly. they run, yeah, they run the session. They're being proactive about it. We all contribute. And it ultimately, it's up to them what they implement. 
you know, that's great. What you're modeling here is how important it is to set the expectation that your staff are proactive and, and that you are assigning ownership. Because if you don't assign ownership, then who owns it, right? Absolutely. You. Yeah, ownership is critical. So the other thing that I'm hearing that you're sharing, Tom, is that, you know, you have this way of training that is engaging your team. So you, you have worked out a way to transfer knowledge, you know, through documenting the processes, but also through this, this engaging learning process that is not just about dumping information on them, but for them to actually work through it and together learn from each other. Absolutely. And I think you're hitting on a really key point. The training needs to be immersive. It needs to be. Because if you're just doing an online course, you are going to forget a lot of it. If you're taking in-person training, you're going to forget a lot of it. To be actively doing the actual stuff that, that you're trying to learn is a fantastic way to retain the information and to accelerate your learning. And so, for example, another thing that we'll do is we'll partner on certain accounts. So we had someone join our team last October. And she had not ever done a brand strategy for a company before. And so uh, she started getting involved in actual accounts. And because I've done so many in the past, it's very easy for me to guide her through the process and to walk her through literally every step of the process. Every question she has, I'm there for her. And so it's a combination of her learning on actual projects, but the client gets our full capabilities. They get the full benefit of all of our history and experience and expertise. But at the same time, what we're doing is we're augmenting our bandwidth. And so we're empowering her through active, engaged, immersive uh, learning on an actual project, because that, that is the absolute most powerful way for her to learn what works, what doesn't, how does the client react, What's the best way to communicate different concepts? Whereas, again, if you're just reading books or you're taking an online course, you miss out on all of that. So what I am hearing as this common thread, you're expecting your staff to be proactive, but what you are modeling is being proactive. And as the CEO of your company, what I think defines you as a hands-off CEO is that you are focusing on building leaders in your company. Absolutely. And it's not by chance. This is documented in our quarterly reviews where we document where are you going? Where are you going to be in 12 months? Where are you going to be in three years? This is all documented. And then what that does is we say, okay, how are we going to get you there? And it's up to them where they want to go and, and what excites them the most and how they want to contribute the most. But then that enables us to develop a plan that's customized for them to empower them to become leaders in that area. Yes, I love this. So you have all these great things that you've implemented into your business. Now, not too long ago, it was pretty difficult for you to focus on building leaders in your company, wasn't it? Yes. Yep. So did, did you know to do this before? Like how much of this is like, I should be doing this, but you just didn't have the time to do it? Or how much of this is like, this is new information that I'm, I'm learning now? I'd love to just kind of hear what what your thinking process was moving through to where you are now? Sure. I think there are multiple factors. As I mentioned before, I think I have to own up to my own failings in the past where 
I was too entrenched in the day-to-day for every single client. And I was getting in the way of supporting our team and uh, guiding them towards being leaders. You know, by being more hands-off, by expecting them to be proactive and being there more as a strategic support, you know, I think that I'm really freeing them up to be their best selves. And also, we have a fantastic team right now. I honestly just love every single member of our team and I really look forward to coming to the office. I really look forward to working with them because they're just such awesome people. Yes, they're, they're amazing at what they do, but even outside of work, just as human beings, I would hang out with them in a heartbeat. I mean, they're just such great people. They're so funny. They're so smart. They're so kind-hearted. Those are the people that we want. And this is something that I learned the hard way was recently, meaning over the past year, we started hiring without regard for past experience. And what I mean by that is, you know, yes, we do brand strategy, we do web design, we do SEO, we do behavioral intelligence, but I stopped worrying whether they had that type of specific background where it was plug and play and they could be off and running doing those services on day one. And instead I started hiring simply based on whether I liked the person and I thought that they were a fantastic person. And the thought was, you know, we can train anyone who's you know, smart. We can train anyone who's, who's quick enough to learn what we do and do it our way and do it really effectively. And to do things that other agencies don't and to be more strategic than other agencies, we can teach them all of that. But it was a mind shift for me to start hiring in that way with that type of a focus. But I really do think that that's been a game changer for us. Yeah. So there's this balance between, you know, hiring for skill, hiring for cultural fit. And I mean, what I'm even hearing from you on this is that maybe even external from that, it was just like, do I like them? Do I think they're a good person? And, you know, Tom, I think all entrepreneurs run into this at some point. We all hire someone because we like them. They sound really great in the interview and we hire them and we think it's just going to be great. And it doesn't quite turn out to be great because they can't deliver what we need. And then we end up having to spend a lot more time trying to do their job plus our own, plus managing them. You know, managing people is not a negative. It's a positive. If you look at it as an investment, right? Every second that I spend with a team member, no matter what aspect of the business it is, whether it's training them, whether it's answering a question, whether, whether they're helping me on something, right? No matter what it is, you know, we're investing in each other. We're investing in their growth as an individual. And that's invaluable because as you teach, Mandy, you know, if you want to be a hands-off CEO, you have to have teams that can carry the torch. You have to have individuals that can carry the torch and get your clients to where they need to go without the CEO necessarily. And so without investing in the people, I just don't see how that's possible to build that type of a company. Yeah, absolutely. And where I'm seeing you right now is that you've been hiring these excellent leaders that you can develop and really how the growth of your company will go from here is that these leaders that you're developing will then be able to develop leaders underneath them. And because they have the skills, then they will actually be able to help you be documenting out all the processes. So you're not the one having to do it all yourself. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And, and yes, yeah, speaking of documenting the processes, that is something that actually isn't even in my scope of work. That, that's not something that, that I personally do. It's something that someone on our team does. And of course, you know, we use software to document it so that everyone can replicate those processes. But that's the advantage of empowering team members is if they can be often running and knowing that they have the leeway to make mistakes along the way, to learn as they go, you know, they know that they're fully empowered to make it happen. That's when you can massively grow your agency rather than, you know, having to go through the head of the company. Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to talk a little bit, we just kind of go back to, we talked a little bit about your sales process and your approach to that. And I know that you worked in an agency before the company that you started and how much were you able to help them grow? (laughs) A lot. (laughs) Uh, I, I was the 85th employee and within five years, we had over 700 employees. So it was massive, massive growth. And for you to understand the context of that growth, on my second day on the job, my second day, I just joined. I didn't know anything about the company. I didn't know anyone yet. The CEO of the company pulled me and several others into a conference room and locked the door. And he said, none of you are leaving this room until we fix this problem. And he said, look, we, we are losing revenue drastically and we can't make a sale. This one competitor was eating our lunch left and right. We could not beat them. And mind you, it was my second day on the job. I was stunned to hear this. No one told me this during the interview process. So one of my first questions to the CEO was, okay, well, look, I'm new here, but let me ask some questions. And he said, of course, of course. So I said, well, okay, in your proposals to your prospects, when do you start specifying the solutions to their problems? Is it, you know, page five, page 15, page 25, what, what is it? And everyone in the room was, was saying, oh, probably around page 15, you know, we, we dive into that or page 16. And I, I asked them, I said, why isn't that on page one at the top of page one? And they're like, well, you know, we're explaining who we are. And so I asked them, I said, well, you know, is knowing who you are going to get them to their goals? Of course not. Knowing how many buildings we have, knowing you know, what cities we're in, knowing how many employees we have, knowing, knowing the technology we use, does, does that get them to their goals? Of course not. But does solving their problems get them to their goals? Absolutely. So why not on the top of page one start solving their problems? And then if you want to talk about yourselves, shove that all the way in the back. If they never get to it, who cares? The only thing that matters is solving their problems. Then I went on to ask them, I said, okay, so in an in-person pitch where you're meeting with them in person, I said, what percentage of the time are they talking? And people guessed, oh, you know, maybe, maybe like 10% or, or, you know, 20%. And I asked them, why isn't it the majority of the time? And everyone was stunned. And they said, uh, because we're pitching them. We have to tell them what we do. And, and again, <laughs> I I, I said, no, you don't. What you have to do is ask them questions so that they will reveal the problems and the underlying problems and the underlying problems to that that they need to solve to be successful. You need to have a dialogue with them. If you go in there just talking about your services, it's a totally random conversation. Maybe you can help them. Maybe you can't. 
And so the objective of talking with prospects is not to tell them anything. It's to understand them. It's to understand their problems, understand their challenges, understand their pain points, understand what keeps them up at night, understand what prevents them from achieving what they need to achieve. And then you can discuss solving those problems. So remember, you know, the CEO had said they couldn't win any business. Revenue was going way down. And this was my second day on the job. So I went in and I transformed the entire sales process, the entire pitch process, the entire contents of how you pitch. And like I said, what wound up going from 85 employees to 700 within five years. It was a complete change in the way we did sales and it absolutely works. Yeah, that's incredible. So, you know, at some point you, you would go off and start your own agency. So you had these skills to be able to grow an agency. So where did you see that, like you could probably immediately saw an impact in how, how you could grow your own company. But at what point did what you learn and how, how you applied that to that company start to kind of trip you up in your own company and not quite apply as, as well? Or was that? Maybe I'm making an assumption here. So yeah, so that mentality and that sales approach never tripped us up. It helped us win a lot of business and it helped us transform the conversation and change the conversation. You know, go back to this story I was telling you about the technology company that called us last summer where they wanted to talk about a website redesign and we helped them understand that what they really needed to do was reframe the business, reframe the brand and approach their sales in an entirely different way. And so that's been very helpful for our business. Let me give you an example. So back at the old agency where we went from 85 to, to 700 employees in five years. So I had a brand call up and today they're, they're part of Unilever. It was a shampoo brand called Nexus. And you know, if you go into any Walgreens or CVS, you'll see it on the shelf. But you'll see Pantene right next to it. And, and Pantene will be like $3 a bottle, $4 a bottle, right? Something like that. And the shampoo next to that is $3 a bottle, $4 a bottle, maybe $5 a bottle, whatever. Nexus is $25 a bottle. And so you have to say, wow, you know, how can they charge such outrageous prices right next to the, the competition, which is only three, four, five dollars a bottle and make any sales. So Nexus called up and I answered the phone and they said, hey, could you give us a proposal on optimizing our website? That's all they wanted. They just wanted SEO of their existing website because they wanted to drive more traffic there. So I took a look and, you know, if it was any other agency, they would have supplied an SEO proposal back. But myself and I had two colleagues working with me on the strategy for them, we did not come back with an SEO proposal because that is not what they needed. In fact, if they had done SEO on their existing website, they would have done a crazy amount of damage to their brand, more damage than any good they could have done. And you might say, why is that? Well, it's because their brand and why they were able to charge so much, they thought, was because of the shampoo ingredients. They felt like they had ingredients which were beyond anything in the market. And so they thought that was their differentiator in the market. And so we did a deep dive into studying their audience. So remember, we could have just easily come back with, with a proposal for them. But instead, we wanted to understand the challenge of growing a shampoo brand like Nexus. And so 
you know, they, they were focused on women because women really drive the majority of shampoo purchases. And so we looked at what women were reading, what they were digesting online. You know, we consumed every fashion magazine and beauty magazine. And we looked at lots of different websites and blogs. We looked at search volumes around hair and shampoo and conditioner. We looked at social sharing data. And what we found was really interesting. Guess how much <laughs> a, a, a typical uh, female consumer uh, was interested in shampoo ingredients? I can tell you right now, I'm a female consumer of shampoo products. I don't care at all. Actually, I care. That's not true. I, I want them to be natural ingredients, but that's not, oh. yeah. Um, and not so, very much. <laughs> well, not, not very much, right? Yeah, you care, but not very much. And you're not, not going to be proactive about it. You're not going out reading blogs about shampoo ingredients. That's not what drives you online. And, and so um, I'll give you an example, like the search volume around, um, around uh, shampoo ingredients was absolutely minimal. And then if you actually looked at what was being listed in the search engines, it was all oriented towards, uh, towards uh, chemists and um, you know, people who would be working in a lab in order to uh, to, to concoct different uh, formulas. And, and then we looked around at what female consumers who were interested, you know, really, really engaged in, in, um, uh, in fashion and hair, what they were consuming, what, what they really cared about was hairstyles, right? So long hairstyles, short hairstyles, curly hairstyles, straight hairstyles, um, or flat hairstyles, um, uh, bob haircuts, uh, it, you know, disco buns, <laughs> French braids, whatever it was, you know, uh, hairstyles for weddings, hairstyles for proms, hairstyles for teenagers, on and on and on and on. There, there are over 25 million searches a year on hairstyles. And, you know, same with social sharing, you know, just for the most popular, and then this was years and years ago, right? The most popular article online about uh, hairstyles had over 400,000 shares. And maybe that's, that's just one article, right? right. <laughs> and, you know, that's just one. And so, you know, you multiply that over the universe of content that's out there and it's astronomical. And, you know, you look at shampoo ingredients and I think the last time that, that I looked, you know, it was something like, um, it, you know, one post had maybe 16 shares and then the next one had two, you know? And so it, right. it was night and day, it was night and day. And so, it was obvious to us that they should be going after hairstyles. And that's what the brand needed to be about. Why? Because that's what yeah. their consumers were obsessed about. And so we pitched this to them. We said, look, let us help you transform your brand. And you're going to be all about hairstyles. And we're going to create videos about hairstyles. And we're going to um, completely transform your website. And they, they loved all of this. So much so that they completely rebranded. They even changed their TV advertising. Now we have nothing to do, we had nothing to do with their TV advertising or their, their print advertising at the time. We were totally digital. But that's how much we impacted their brand. They changed everything. Whether we were involved or not, they became the brand about hairstyles and they went on to 10x every metric across the board, no matter how you looked at it. Wow. See, that's that's really incredible. And it just goes to show how uh bring that leadership to your client work is really powerful. So you had a really successful career before you started this business that you're in now. And you had this ability to sell, ability to, you know, make it rain. So what I'm wondering is at what point did you hit capacity in your company 
where growth was flat and you just couldn't grow anymore without working more hours? So I would say uh, for the first two years, I was able to grow very organically where it was literally myself and a number of contractors. I did heavily outsource certain things. For example, there are certain things that I never touched, like coding. So I developed a team of developers that I could outsource to. And, you know, I was working with them every single week. And so, you know, they were very much part of the family and still are. But it was, yeah, really the first two years where it was myself before I started bringing team members on board, you know, full-time employees on board. Okay. So is that where you, you started hitting capacity in your ability to actually grow the company? I would say it was really maybe two years beyond that. So when you initially start to hire full-time employees, or at least in my case, we did grow further, uh, which was great, but that definitely hit a cap and we kind of maxed out with that model. But again, that, that was a model, and I blame myself, where I personally was too involved in the day-to-day. Yeah, I see this a lot where what happens is you're, you're basically a freelancer and you have these contractors that are working with you and then you go and hire some, some staff. But what happens is you're still kind of in this freelancer mindset where you're, you have your employees, and, but you still are the one kind of owning whether the outcomes happen or not. Is that kind of where you were at? To a certain extent, certainly it depended on the account. But certainly there were, there were way too many examples of that, yes. Right. So what are, where I see at this stage is, I might call this monkey in the middle, where, and I know you, you had a really good key staff member that could own certain things, but you had some other accounts that you were owning, and you had employees that, employees and contractors at the time, because you had the, the contractors still as well, and that you're passing off this work to them, but it still comes back to you. It still requires you to be, working in the business and really making sure that things happen the way that they're supposed to so that the clients actually get the, the, these really great results that you know your, your business is capable of. Yes. And, and that, that was definitely a, a problem. So then, so then what did it, so what was it like when you're at that place? Like, do you mind if we get into some details? Like, what did it look like? How many hours were you working? And, you know, was this, was this a pretty stressful place to be at? Like, how long did it go on? Uh, so it went on for a few years and yeah, very, very stressful and frustrating because you know, you're doing great work. You're, you know, we have great client relationships and we are getting great results for them. We have fantastic case studies, but that's a different topic than are, are you growing your own agency? And so it was just very frustrating because I loved the work and I think everyone on our team loved the work that we were doing. But I think that because I was so in the day-to-day and in the weeds, I'm sure that it impacted the, the fulfillment of our employees at the time, and it definitely prevented us from growing faster. And to your point, you know, there was frustration that we, that we weren't growing as, as quickly as I knew we could. Right. So you, so you weren't growing as quickly as you know that you could. There was a cap to growth. Now, how many hours a week about were you working at that stage? Uh, I would say probably 60 hours a week. Okay. All right. So then 60 hours per week. Now, you're in a place now where 
like you have a lot of capacity for growth now, don't you? Absolutely. Right. And how many hours a week, like I know you can, you can choose to work how many hours a week you, you want to, right? Right. You have a lot more choice. And I know that there was a time in the past here where you were actually in this stage where you were making this transition where to, to becoming a hands-off CEO. And I mean, you had, you had a bit of what I would call a stress test, didn't you? you yes. And, I mean, and you can share whatever you want to, about that. Sure. No, and I'm, I'm happy sharing the, the general thing that happened. So someone in my family went into the hospital all of a sudden. Like, like literally, I got a text. I'm in the hospital and I needed to run to the hospital, literally, like just run to the hospital. And I was at the hospital for about a week. And that took me out of the business for a week. Now, if this was five years ago, that would have been a bit disastrous for our clients because I was so involved in the day-to-day on so many different accounts. What was really fantastic about the experience in this case, although it was very, very challenging for me on a, on a personal level because someone I love was in the hospital. On the business side, our team completely stepped up, took care of everything. I didn't have to worry about any deliverables, any accounts. They were on top of everything and keeping clients completely happy. Um, and, and very, very caring and supportive of me as well. And so it enabled me to be out of the business sudden, you know, without notice, out of left field, being out of the business for roughly one full week. And then even after that, I couldn't get back to 100% for probably another month where I, I had to just take on a lot of extra personal tasks to help out the family. And they've knocked it out of the park. They've kept all of our clients super happy. And it's a completely it's a different world than I was in five years ago. Wow. So, and this was all at the same time where you were, your company was experiencing rapid growth. Like you guys, this is the time where you actually had doubled growth in your company. Yes. Yes. Right. So we were taking on new clients very rapidly and existing clients were expanding their scope. And so we were juggling quite a lot at the same time. But the, the team, team was able to jump on it, step up, and, and uh, really knock it out of the park. So how has becoming a hands-off CEO changed your life then? Like with these, the, we have these two very different perspectives. One of them, you're working 60 hours per week. It's totally stressful. And, and on top of that, you're saying that you couldn't grow on top of that versus like where you're at right now. It's very zen, <laughs> it's, it's very <laughs> blissful. I am so much more relaxed these days than I was, say, five years ago, six years ago, because I can count on team members who I know are just crushing it for our clients. And I trust them 100%. I believe in them 100%. And it's just a very calming <laughs> way of, of, of uh, existing. You know, one of the things which, which I do, as you mentioned earlier, is I, I write books. So, you know, Rethink Your Marketing came out in 2017 and Rethink Lead Generation is this year. But, you know, it takes a long time to write a book. There's everything from outlining it to I like to interview a lot of marketing executives in coming up with unique stories for my books. And so it includes dozens and dozens of interviews. 
And it includes a lot of writing and editing and you know, things like that. And so I'm able to spend much more time now focusing on my writing than certainly I, I was five or six years ago. That is night and day. Wow. Sounds like it's a really quite a big life-changing difference, not just in your business, not just in the amount of, of money that you, could, you can grow and, and just, I mean, just the fun of being able to grow a business. That's fun, isn't it? It's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. When you're growing fast, it's fun for you and for, for everyone on the team. Everyone gets totally juiced up about it. Yeah. So let's take this back a few years ago. And would you have imagined that this is what your life could look like in such a short amount of time? Not in such a short amount of time. Uh, you know, this past year was just, a, you know, it was, it was a bit of a rocket ship of, of growth. And what's good about it is that along the way, we've also set up the infrastructure to continue growing at this pace and very comfortably grow at this pace. And I even told you, you know, we had someone call us up, we had a business call us up, I guess it was in February. And, you know, we were growing very, very rapidly and we were completely maxed out and they, they asked if, we, if they could hire us. And we told them that, that we were just too busy, you know, we wouldn't free up bandwidth until April. And we offered on the spot to, to hand them off to any number of trusted individuals who I, I know personally and I, I've worked with for years and I, I trust them completely and they do a great job. They have fantastic um, expertise. And the prospect uh, said, no, that's okay. We'll wait until April. And now they're coming on board. And not only that, since we had more time to talk, we've deepened the discussion, we've deepened the discovery and the exploration, and the scope has literally doubled since that first conversation, simply because we uncovered all the different ways that we could help them grow more effectively. And so, you know, it's... Yes, that, that, you know, I'm not saying that once you kind of crack the code of growing, you'll always be able to, to grow without any caps, to grow at any pace. You know, there is still a pace that we have to respect, right? We're, we, right. we're an agency and we have a certain number of people. We're, we're never going to just hire someone just because we need an, another body. You know, I've learned you have to hire the right people, like I, like I talked about. And it took us a really long time to, uh, to hire our latest recruit. I, I think it took over two months to find her and then to, uh, to go through the process of hiring her. But, you know, she started literally this week and we love her. We love her to death. And, and I'm 100% confident that she's perfect for the role and that she's going to enable us to grow a lot more. And so I, I see it more like a framework. We've built a framework and no, it doesn't mean that we have unlimited growth at any time. We still have those limits, but we're confident that we can double in size on a continuous basis. And for me, I'm very, very happy with that level of growth. Yeah. Well, what I'm loving is, is that you're sustaining that level of growth as you are choosing how much you want to work in the company. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and too often it's, Yes, I can grow my agency. Yes, I can grow my business, but it's at the cost of your personal life. It's, right. I'm going to grow my company. I'm, I'm going to double my company. And what that looks like is I'm going to double the amount of time that I'm spending in my business, which just 
which just really sucks, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> so, I, so I think that that's the part of the code that you've cracked. And while, yes, there are still caps and there's like these different levels you reach where you have, to, there's like this dance between demand generation and, and capacity. It's like this back and forth dance that you have to really respect, like you were saying, and just making sure it's, it's at the pace of the growth that you want to, to maintain and that you're continuing to improve your service delivery as you're going along, as your systems get better and better, as your team gets more and more developed. But you're doing this on your own terms. And I think that that is what is so awesome about what you're doing. And I love that you're modeling it. Great. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's very true that, that we're selecting the pace at which we're going to grow. We're, we're very conscientiously, very happy with the framework we have. We know it works. We're really comfortable with it. Everyone is really very calm and, and zen-like in the way that they approach their work now because we know it works. Like we just we know what we do works and we know the framework we have works. And as long as we keep bringing the right people on board and we keep documenting all of these processes and training people in a highly engaged, immersive way, that, yeah, this is, this is completely sustainable. And what's great about it is as we continue to grow, my role in the training is going to, to decrease over time. And so that's going to free me up for lots of different aspects of how we can build the company in different ways. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for sharing that, Tom. And I want to point out one, one successful characteristic about you. And this is something I noticed from you right away from the very first conversation. And it's also why I see that you know, you've been one of our most successful clients in that, like, how quickly you've been able to create results. And the reason why you've been able to so quickly make create results, I'm noticing, and it's words that you actually used earlier, bold and decisive. So you take bold and decisive actions. It's like either a hell yes or a hell no. You like know the direction you're going and everyone on your team follows you in that direction. But I see this in every decision that you make, whether it's we're going to grow in this direction, we're going to invest in this, we're, we're going to, to not invest in this. You're so clear on the direction that you're going to take and you go all in and there's no room for doubt. You just go. Yeah, I think, I think you've nailed one of the key concepts that we believe in and we believe in it with every ounce of our bodies and that is tinkering around the edges, being indecisive, that does not lead to growth. Taking bold, decisive action leads to growth. And I, and I write a lot about that in the book, Rethink Your Marketing, where I have over 50 case studies in the book pointing out examples, whether it was my own personal experience or whether it was the experience of Tough Mudder or Domino's Pizza. I talked to the president of Domino's Pizza and, and, and found out what made them successful, right? And in every single case, it was being 100% decisive. The president of Domino's told me, he said, you know, when we decided to become a 100% authentic brand and just be totally honest with our audience and show them focus groups in TV ads where people actually called their, <laughs> said that their pizza tasted like cardboard, right? Being that authentic. He said, you can't be 98% authentic. You can't be 99% authentic. You can't be 92.5% authentic. He said, either you're 100% authentic and you're going to show everything or you're not. And, you know, I think that he's absolutely correct. And that's the way that, that, that we've been running the agency. 
And that's how we run everything now. It's just, we're very decisive about everything. And if we decide yes, then you're right. It's a hell yes. And we are all in. We, you know, we double down where we're in. And if it's a no, we don't waste any time in saying, no, I'll give you an example. I went through an amazing technology demo yesterday. A company was, wanted to sell us this technology. I fell in love with it. I, I thought it was amazing, but I brought it to the team. I walked through it with the team right after the demo, right? We discussed it and, we, and in the end, we all decided, you know what? Yeah, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's easy to kind of fall in love with it, but it's not what we need and it's not what our clients need. And, you know, we can get amazing, we can get results, the same results without it that we could with it. And, and so we decided no. And literally, we walked away from that meeting and there was just a 100% decisive no, we're not going to go with that technology. Where I could see a lot of agencies might hem and haul, have a few more demos, a few more discussions. And we've just learned to be incredibly fast with our decisions and 100% decisive with them. Yeah, I love that. That that is a perfect example. And you know, and I think you bring up an important point too because this is an example of something that you need to bring to your team to get their input on because they're going to be the ones who use it, right? Right. So right. so that is the, that an example of the kind of decision that the team really needs to have your support in. But there are other kinds of decisions that should not be crowdsourced. And this is where I see a whole lot of CEOs go and they talk to the, they, they have to talk to their CFO about this. They've got to talk to their operations manager about this. And they're just not making a decision about the what and the why of their company. And they're muddying the entire discussion in their minds by getting all these different perspectives. They don't need the perspective on. They need to make the decision for themselves. Just like when you and I initially talked about whether um, you were going to, to work with hands-off CEO or not. You didn't need to go in and come, come forward to a, a panel of, of, the, of these different people to ask for permission for it. You said, nope, this is the direction we're going and we're going this way, we're going forward. And, I, and that's just something I really respect about you is you know how to make those decisions. Well, I appreciate that. And yeah, you know, right after the first conversation with you, I made up my mind 100% and it, it makes it easier on everyone when you're decisive because everyone knows what to do. That is a perfect way to end this, I think, because you just nailed it. This is that everyone knows what to do. When yeah. you define the what and the why, you're decisive about it, then your team is empowered with the how and they know what to do. So Tom, thank you so much for being on here uh, on, on the podcast, it's been a pleasure working with you in this past year that we've been working together. So Tom Shapiro, now where can people find you? Right. So you can find us at stratabeat.com, uh, which is our agency website. You can also find me on uh, rethinkyourmarketing.com, which is where I provide some, some additional thoughts on marketing you know, obviously very, very tied into the books that I'm writing. Love it. Well, thanks again, Tom. And everyone, make sure to go to rethinkyourmarketing.com. Check out his books and uh, go to Amazon and buy them. And um, until next time, this is Mandy Ellifson and Tom Shapiro here signing off. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Hands Off CEO with Mandy Ellifson. 
If you want to work less and make more, make sure you subscribe and get a new episode every week and help spread the word by leaving a review.